Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches part three of his series, Sent, Living a Life on Mission, in this message from January 27th. As a father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As I mentioned last Sunday, there are a number of questions that we ought to be asking regarding these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and by extension to us. Where was Jesus sending his disciples? Who was he sending them to? What were they sent to do? But I also said that before we answer those questions, we need to consider a more basic question. And what was Jesus' reason or what was the father's reason for sending Jesus? After all, the sending of the disciples by Jesus in John 20 is closely tied and associated with the Father's sending of Jesus into the world. And so therefore, we need to consider what was the Father's purpose in sending Jesus to us. That question led us to consider last Sunday three important foundational biblical truths. The first truth we focused on was a mission of God. As Philip Nation reminds us, God's mission among us is to glorify himself to the work of redeeming people and restoring creation. And the mission of God in the ministry of Jesus is the announcement of God's rule and reign. God's mission finds its pinnacle in the death of Jesus. Through it, he defeats sin and death and hell, making it possible for humanity to be brought back into fellowship with him. The second foundational truth we discussed was the missionary nature of God. God calls and he sends his people to declare and announce his redemptive mission. In the Old Testament, he called and he sent Abraham and Moses and Isaiah and Jonah and the other prophets. In the New Testament, we read of God sending Jesus and Jesus calling and sending his disciples. And by extension, calling and sending us. God is a missionary God. And the third foundational truth we discussed was the missionary nature of the church. Individually and collectively, we need to assume the identity and the posture of a missionary. God's people, you and I, are a sent people. We are sent into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into the world to carry out God's mission. Christopher Wright expresses it this way. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, for God's mission. The missional life then is a way of living, not an affiliation. It's not an activity. It's a lifestyle. And then Christopher Wright goes on to say, the whole Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people in their engagement with God's world for the sake of God's purpose for the whole of God's creation. So let me say it once again. The church is God's tool in fulfilling his mission. Therefore, as a local expression of God's universal church, our church fellowship needs to be centered on God's mission. And his mission should shape everything that we do. We have been chosen as God's ambassadors to the world to fulfill that mission. When you stop and think about it, we have been given an astounding and overwhelming mission. One that is seemingly impossible. If we take our sending by Jesus seriously, our hearts should pound and perhaps our knees should knock because it is 
a seemingly impossible mission. After all, how can we, with all of our human limitations and our sinful bent, participate in God's mission? Well, I think the answer to that question is found in John chapter 20. Immediately after Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, the Apostle John writes, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Living the sent life, a life on mission, is a realization that we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit's presence, we are compelled by love to move out of our comfort zone and into the world where a hearing and a demonstration of the gospel is needed. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, most evangelicals fall into one of two extremes. Some seem obsessed relating to the Holy Spirit in strange, mystical ways. Their experiences with the Spirit always seem to coincide with an emotionally ecstatic moment created perhaps by the swell of music in a worship service or a weird confluence of events. Other Christians neglect his ministry altogether. They believe in the Holy Spirit, but they relate to him in the same way they relate to their tonsils. They are really grateful they have tonsils. They know tonsils are essential for something. They would never want to lose them, even though they they don't have a clue what purpose tonsils serve. And in the same way for these Christians, the Holy Spirit is not a moving, dynamic person. He's more of a theory. They acknowledge the Holy Spirit was given to them at the time of their new birth, but when it comes to his ministry, his ministry in their lives, they have no clue as to what that ministry is all about. And yet Jesus made his disciples the most astounding promise about the Holy Spirit. One so astounding, I think many of us do not really take it seriously. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he said it would be to their advantage that he returned to heaven because it would mean that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And after his ascension, the disciples would no longer have Jesus beside them Rather, they would have the Holy Spirit inside them. After the disciples received the Holy Spirit, Luke records in the book of Acts, example after example of how he worked in and through them. The Holy Spirit appears 59 times in the book of Acts. As the disciples walked in step with the Holy Spirit, they were able to carry out God's mission in the world. In 1984, Kent Carlson and Mike Lucan planted Oak Hills Church, a North American Baptist Conference church in Folsom, California. This church plant targeted the seeker crowd and placed a high value on attractional ministry. And it was working. The church was attracting large crowds of people to their services. In his book, Renovation of the Church, Kent Carlson recalled the early years of that church plant. And I quote, I remember being excited and bewildered during those days. In becoming a pastor, I had never thought that much about outward success. I just liked the idea of being a pastor and living in community with people I loved. But this was something I had never anticipated. It was exhilarating and intoxicating. We would finish a service and there would be a long line of people waiting to talk with me. People who wanted to confess sin and who were wondering if God could make a difference in their life. They had just sat through a 65-minute service that was fast-paced, well-put-together, interesting, compelling, funny, informative, entertaining, and emotionally stimulating. 
and many wanted to see how they could know this God we were talking about. I remember one such moment with, with such great clarity. I had just finished talking and praying with a long line of people after one of our better conceived and more powerfully performed services. And I went over and plopped down next to our creative arts pastor, Manuel Luz. Manuel was directly responsible for everything that happened in our seeker service and new community. We knew we had done a very good job that day. From a performance perspective, we had put together a first-rate product. The artistic elements were very compelling and technically excellent. There were times when people were laughing uproariously and other when they were wiping away tears. After settling into the chair next to Manuel, I sighed and said, wow. And with uncharacteristic dark irony, Manuel said, you know, we don't even need God to do this. We don't even need God to do this. Could it be that much of what we give attention to and what consumes us is then in our own strength and with our own ingenuity? When we consider our personal and collective life over the past day, the past week, the past month, even the past year, but we have to confess, you know, we don't even need God to do this. Could it be that we don't even need God to show up to empower us and to enable us to do the things that occupy our time and our attention? When we begin to fully embrace God's mission, we will soon discover that although the Holy Spirit could do his work without us, he chooses to use us because he desires for us to be intimately related to him by being, by being intimately involved in his world. He allows us to participate in his redeeming work and he energizes us for the work to which we are called, the work to which we are sent. I believe we need to allow the Holy Spirit to awaken within us that missional life, a life that assumes the identity and posture of a missionary, a life that embraces a mission of God. And as he awakens us to this missional life, we need to allow him to empower us to, care, to carry out that mission. Jesus, as he was sent by the Father, modeled what it was like to be spirit-empowered. Listen to what we read in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21, as Jesus begins his ministry. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The passage in verse 14 opens with, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Galilee. And in verse 18, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. He has sent me. Jesus, knowing why his father had sent him into the world, carried out his ministry with the presence, the power, the anointing, the sending of the Holy Spirit. 
Have you ever considered that Jesus' earthly ministry was completely guided by the Holy Spirit? Even though Jesus is both God and man and lived his life without sinning, he fully submitted to and was guided by the Holy Spirit. His life is a picture of the perfect work of the Holy Spirit in man. I mean, consider Jesus was born by the work of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit to suffer temptation in the wilderness and to emerge from temptation spotless. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the ministry he did. Jesus was full of wisdom and knowledge by the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke only words given to him by the Spirit. And Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I have the same Spirit living inside of us to guide and empower us for mission. Paul said in Romans, Moreover, if the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. Twice Paul use, uses that phrase, the spirit lives in you. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to suggest that the Holy Spirit was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead. He is powerful enough to help us carry out God's mission in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and around the world. Our work can be filled with the very same power and authority that filled the ministry of Jesus. Our mission is not a separate mission to that of Jesus. It is a very same mission extended into our lives, into our actions, into our conversations. But when it comes to the power of the Spirit, I think we need to probe even deeper. Remember Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to his disciples before he ascended back to his Father. He promised them. That they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. Why did his disciples need power to be his witnesses? Why do we need the special power to be witnesses of our Lord and Savior? How does the power of the Holy Spirit aid us in carrying out this mission? I mean, no matter how enthusiastic the first disciples might have been, no matter that they had, been, that they had spent three years with Jesus, and had conversed with him after his resurrection, they were still not ready for the spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical challenge of proclaiming the good news of Christ to all nations. They had to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the promised Holy Spirit, for the special power that Jesus said would come upon them. And I think if we want our lives to count for eternity, we need that power of the Holy Spirit operative in us. John Piper says, without it, the power of the Holy Spirit, without it, our witness for Christ will lack deep conviction, self-denying courage, convincing wisdom, and converting effectiveness. It takes a special kind of power to carry out God's mission. John Piper goes on to say that when the Holy Spirit infuses us with his power, our witness for Christ will be with deep conviction. Notice what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. When God clothes his witnesses with a special power from on high, the effect is a deep certainty and confidence and conviction about Christ and the reality of his life and his work. The power of God comes upon you, wraps you up as though in a garment of strength and carries you with conviction and assurance as you bear witness of Jesus. But John Piper also says, when we are clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, 
we will have, have self-denying courage and boldness in our witness for Christ. He points to scriptures that give example of example upon about this truth. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 says, And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 to 8 to, to Timothy, he says, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Where does such boldness come from? It comes from the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Where does courage to suffer for Christ come from? It comes from the power of God, the spirit of power. To reach our neighborhoods, our community with the gospel requires that same kind of courage and boldness. A willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ and for Christ himself. This kind of courage wells up in the heart when the special power of God's spirit falls upon us. This is no ordinary power. The need for it is great. And then John Piper says, when we are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, our witness to Christ comes with convincing wisdom and irresistible words. He points to Luke chapter six or to Acts chapter six, verse five. Luke tells us that Stephen was chosen as a deacon because he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Verse eight says that he was full of grace and power and did wonders and signs among the people. Then in verse 10, Luke tells us about Stephen's witness to Jews from Alexandria and Cilicia and Asia saying they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. It doesn't matter how educated or intelligent you are. Unless the spirit comes upon you in power when you bear witness of Christ, people will be able to twist what you say to make it sound unacceptable and foolish. But if the power of the Holy Spirit comes down and you're clothed with that heavenly wisdom, something supernatural will happen. Your words will carry an irresistible force. Of Stephen, they said, they could not resist the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. And then when we are infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, our witness to Christ will result, as John Piper says, converting effectiveness. Not always, but far more often than without the special power of the Holy Spirit. For example, in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, it says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. We need the special power of God's Spirit, the fullness of His Spirit, because the human heart is hard to turn to God. Conversions are the work of God. The missional life is a supernatural life. We need special power if we want to see people's lives transformed by the gospel. Remember, people do not respond to the gospel because of our intelligence or charisma. They don't respond to the gospel by the force of their own will. The gospel calls for a spiritual response and a spiritual change. And only... By the work of the Spirit, does a human soul repent and believe. The Holy Spirit enables people to understand God's offer of salvation. The empowering presence of the Spirit brings amazing hope. People without hope are everywhere. And our role is to glorify God by offering hope through the message of the gospel. Well, to join with God's purposes, we need that special power of the Spirit but we need to be able to discern what God is up to in the world as he 
continues and fulfills his mission. And this is where the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit is helpful for, to us. But it does raise a question. How do we discern his voice? How do we discern the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Bill Heibel has written a book on this very subject. And we have the book and, along with the DVD series in our library. But this is what he writes. You and I must commit ourselves to a few daily disciplines and I like the way he says this, that help us get positioned to hear God. We need to commit ourselves to a few daily disciplines that help us get positioned to hear from God. He goes on to talk about inward disciplines, such as meditation and prayer and fasting and study. And then some outward disciplines, such as simplicity, uncluttering our lives of stuff, solitude, submission, and service. And the third set of disciplines he labels as corporate disciplines, confession and, and worship and guidance and celebration. What these disciplines do is they move us toward a deep intimacy with Jesus. And as we engage in these disciplines, we are also shaped by the spirit into missional people. David Pitches uses marriage to illustrate this point. He writes, married couples acquire an instinctively, excuse me, Married couples acquire an instinctive sensitivity to the quiet word and small gesture, which others may never notice. Young lovers don't possess it. Beginners in prayer don't normally possess it about God either. But as a relationship with God develops, so does our instinctive judgment about what pleases him. There is no shortcut to this art. Through these disciplines, our ears are tuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're able to discern his promptings. We begin to recognize when he begins to stir within our spirit. In that series, The Power of a Whisper, Bill Hybels shared an experience when he was in grade school. His teacher had shared the story of Samuel when he heard a voice in the middle of the night. As the story went, Samuel would get out of bed and go find Eli, his mentor, and say, you called me? To which Eli would say, I didn't call you, go back to bed. <laughs> and this happened three times. And finally, Eli said to Samuel, next time you hear a voice, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Amazingly, God actually spoke. He spoke a very important message to Samuel that he was to convey to Eli the following day. The teacher, after telling that story, gave this poem to Bill Hybels. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, an open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word, like him to answer thy call and to obey thee first of all. She then said, Billy Hybels, if you listen to the voice of God and obey it, I think he will not only speak to you throughout your days, but he will infuse your life with great power. Isn't that wise counsel? Great advice, wonderful insight. As Christians, the living God resides within each of us through the Holy Spirit. And so I leave you with this question to ponder and to think about. Are you satisfied with your spiritual level of power in your witness of Christ? I need to confess I'm not. Have we become content with weakness and forgotten the amazing promise? You shall receive power. You and I can do our hardest to effectively carry out God's mission in the world. 
But our best efforts won't lead anywhere if we are not discerning where the Holy Spirit wants us to go. The Holy Spirit, I believe, has a particular mission for you and for me individually and for us collectively as a church. And it's only when we are able to discern and follow that we will discover that God will take us to people and places we never imagined we would go. It would be sad to come to the end of our lives and realize that we didn't need God to do the things that we did. It would be sad to come to the end of our life and realize that we didn't need God for the things that we put our hands and our efforts to. But that can all change when we appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. Expect, expect the Holy Spirit to show up with power and authority because that is why God sent him to us. You will receive power. That special power, the power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And what? You will be my witnesses. Are you satisfied with your spiritual level of power in your witness of Christ? Father, we ponder that question with sincerity and openness and humility. We want to be honest before you. And so, Father, as we contemplate that question, I pray that we'd honestly answer it. But, Father, that we would not then live in despair if we're not satisfied with the level of our spiritual power, but that we would realize that your spirit is within us and that we can appropriate his power each and every day. And so as we live this life on mission, as we live as sent people, Father, may we live in the power of your spirit, being directed and led by your spirit, being led and taken to people and places that we never imagined that we would go because we were being obedient to you. In the name of Christ. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash tbcswanriver. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Church or search on your favorite podcast app.